0: Louder. I'm still alive, motherfucker.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitative cinema. This is the Pod Boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my Doppelganger, Kangabanger, from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, you sexy sons of bitches. And joining us as always, with an empty ball bag, Mr. Nick Reese. Good morning, Vietnam. Today, we have a very special episode, but before we get to that, what you guys been up to? Brody?
2: Well, 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 it has been a hot minute. Um, I've been watching nothing but quality content. Went and saw Top Gun Maverick there the other night. And what a cinematic experience it was to see in the theater. The only way to see that film is in theater. So if you haven't gone fucking suss it out ASAP, it had no right to be as good as the OG, if not better. Um, yeah, that film was fantastic. Uh, I've been watching a lot of TV series. Um, finished Invincible, the cartoon series. Fucking Hell fantastic. Yeah. Uh and just recently caught up on the boys. Started watching season three of that amazing show, that is. Um, other than that, yeah, just collaborating with Mr. Bowser on a few things and getting this uh comic book up and running. The progress is starting to kick along really, really fine and dandy. Uh, Mr. Bowser putting a lot of time and effort into it as well, which is fucking awesome. Um, yeah, but other than that, yeah, just working and watching a lot of shit. How about you, Slick Nick? Well,
0: uh, Shortly after we went on our break, uh me and the Beetle Bros wrapped up our podcast, did our finale stream. That was a good time. Um hopefully we will still be doing some stuff here in the future, probably some more video content. Um other than that, I have also been working, um did a bit of relaxing, but also been planning this vacation road trip for later this summer. That should be a bunch of fun. Um other than that, I have have uh, been being responsible and trying to catch up on checkups and health stuff and everything, uh, which is taking a lot more time than I would think, but mostly everything has come back okay so far, so we're glad about that. (laughs) Uh other than that, I think about to start watching Stranger Things season four. Um, so I've been waiting for so long for that. <laughs> and I've heard it's great, I just haven't gotten a chance to start it yet. So uh I don't know, I might do that later today. We'll see. TJ, what'd you been up to?
1: Well, boys, it's been so fucking long since I talked to you guys, but it's been quite the time. I've been super fucking busy. As Brody already mentioned, we've been working on our comic book. We are about two and a half months out now from probably most of the art being finished and us about to start to wrap up issue one. It's been slow going, but it's been a learning process for us all. It's our first comic book, and I'm kind of just kind of learning as I'm going, so it's, it's ver- very interesting, to say the least. But I've been watching a fuck ton of film, been watching a lot of X-Files recently. Brody and I have been on this alien kick, so we've just been watching yeah. a ton of these alien films, and of course, if you're gonna watch alien films, you're gonna watch the X-Files as a result. But anyway, anyway, order some stuff from Vinegar Syndrome's halfway to Black Friday sale. Brody did too, and then this Partners Only month was also very enticing. Got some stuff there. It's just a super exciting time for physical media and I can't wait to get all those orders in. Can't wait to watch all of those films. But what I can't wait to do is talk about this week's very special episode. And this week's very special episode is a Klaus Kinski Super Special Spectacular. We're going to talk about four of his films. We're going to talk about his career a little bit and what we think about him and his various talents. the <laughs> 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 the man is a legend and the man is a legend in the acting world and he should be celebrated. I mean, he's mostly remembered for his eccentric attempts. (laughs) A little bit,
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, weird coincidence. uh, Just like not, but a few days ago, while I was getting ready to do notes for this, I was uh, sitting and chilling on Reddit and there was a uh, question thread where someone was like, what is a celebrity you know of that is an absolute psychopath. And the second to like top response was Klaus Kinski. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty well known. He was well only beat out by Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty well known for his eccentric
1: behavior and all that, but we have our own reasons for stuff, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But a little backstory on Mr. Kinski: He was born Klaus Gunther Karl Kinski on October eighth, nineteen twenty-six, in Sopot, Poland. So if you think about that real long and hard, think about what time frame he grew up in. Okay, okay. He appeared in over one hundred and thirty film roles in a forty-year career. Kinski was a controversial and aggressive figure, often misunderstood, in my opinion. Who was prone to emotional and often violent outbursts directed as directors and fellow cast members issues further complicated by a history of mental illness. Fun fact: In 1980, Kinski refused the lead role of Major Arnold Tote in Raiders of the Lost Ark, telling Steven Spielberg, "This script is a yawn-making, boring pile of shit, and moronically shitty." <laughs> I'm
2: not gonna love this man. <laughs>
1: Sadly, he passed away on November 23rd, 1991 of a sudden heart attack, probably mid-stroke, at his home in Laguinas, California at 65 years old. His ashes were scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Of his three children, only his son Nikolai attended the funeral. If you look into that, you can make your own decisions on why that happens. We have a couple quotes from Mr. Kinski, and the first one I'll spout off is, I've solved the mystery. You have to submit silently. Open up. Let go. Let anything penetrate you, even the most painful things endure, bear up, that's the magic key the text comes by itself and its meaning shakes the soul, you must have let the scar tissue form on your wounds, you have to keep ripping them open in order to turn your insides into marvelous instruments that is capable of anything, all this has its price, and of course with that I take it as he's talking about his art and just the, mm-hmm. what he has to go through in order to become these characters and it's interesting, and we'll talk about that and I think the the first film we'll talk about is 1970's In God Said to Cain, directed by Antonio Antonio... Margariti Brody read that plot
2: Gary Hamilton a former officer of the army is in prison sentenced to forced labour for an attempt robbery in reality it was a friend of his a who committed the crime and left Hamilton's water bottle at the scene of the crime as evidence 10 years later Hamilton is pardoned on the basis of his military record leading Gary to return to his hometown determined to take revenge on Bacomba and his wife
0: she's just a whore bitch <laughs> I love that he was convicted solely off of they found his water bottle and they were like he did it (laughs) (laughs) she's just a whore she never forgot about him the whole time (laughs) bitch Fuck it's that boys I didn't get to know him. I only got to betray him.
1: What did you think of In God said Decayed? I really liked it. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I really
0: enjoyed it. So I like, like revenge stories and I like Westerns. A
1: lot of people compare it to High Plains Drifter, and if you've watched that film, spoiler alert, that has kind of like a supernatural element to it. This feels like it too. Like Kinski feels like a fucking phantom.
2: A little bit. Yeah, and like like I said to you uh in our little chat there um after I watched it, you know, there's definitely those scenes where he disappears and then it's it's all about the sound design when he disappears, the rustle in the wind, and he's just vanished. Yeah. Like the editing's there. It's really cool how they do it. It's cheap, it works well. Um, but like you, like you said, yeah, you summed it up pretty good. It's like got this supernatural element about it. And especially when it takes all place at night, uh, there's no lighting there really to showcase these actors. So it captures that realism, you know? I enjoyed it for what it was. It was definitely something a little bit different. As much as I love High Plains Drifter, it was good to see, um, Kinski own uh, this performance. I think this is his strongest performance out of the four films we've chosen.
0: Oh, um, well,
2: okay. That's just me personally. I'll talk about that a little bit later when we discuss Kinski. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it.
1: Fuck it eh? Nick, you, you're a fan yeah. of Uh-oh. Spaghetti Westerns. What did you think of it?
0: I am indeed. Um, I do agree uh with that sort of supernatural element to it i do like that it more or less uh takes place over the course of just the first night that gary comes into town <laughs> yes. so like with him popping up everywhere it's almost inhuman it's just like he's here and then he's at the mansion okay and then he's back in town uh,
1: <laughs> friday 13th part 8 jason
0: yeah. <laughs> like, I'm definitely surprised there wasn't a part where Akambar walks past a tree and he just materializes out <laughs> from behind it. Like, <laughs> uh, but I really do like that element to it um, because it just makes him a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And you can kind of see why Akambar is so afraid of him uh, from the very moment that his son hands him the water bottle and is like, hey, your buddy Gary gave this to me. He said he's going to come, uh, come back tonight and get it. And he's just like, a fucking who? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking cool because he like goes through the trouble of like befriending his son and was like hey yo yeah, give this to your dad and it, he's just like yeah fucking give it to him <laughs> it's great
0: it's almost uh almost a place beyond the pines kind of <laughs> <laughs> Fucking it
1: yeah, I just love the whole setup and everything for this film. It's so cool. And I think Kinski's performance just really drives it home. Like he almost like floats into scenes and shit and just kind of appears out of nowhere. And it's just, he just blasts people away. And I like how the whole film is just shrouded in darkness and it gives it this unique feeling where other spaghetti Westerns are just super bright and Mm -hmm. they're, or they're like really muddy and stuff where this film is just dark. There's really low angles and stuff. And I mean, really low angles. Look at the scene wherever he first gets out of jail after being pardoned. Uh, I mm-hmm. believe when you watch, I actually watched the audio commentary for that. Uh, it's actually the same set you see later on, but it's just filmed from such a fucking low angle that Uh-oh. it looks completely different. So which is just rad to me. But, uh, yeah, this film is really well made. And I just love the fact that it's so different than everything else that was coming out at the time. And I really would have loved to see Kinski do more. Stuff like this where he's the center instead of being pushed aside and used as a side character in lieu of people like Clint Eastwood or Mm -hmm. Franco Nero. Because I believe he was in one of the, the dollar films, correct?
0: He was in two. Yes. Uh, he was in For a Few Dollars More, which was where I first saw him, um, and then A Barrel Full of Dollars. And I also think on.
1: he's a side character in Man Pride Vengeance uh, alongside Nero. So it's like he was get, was given this opportunity, and this is definitely like a Kinski vessel to get him out there and to make him popular at the time but yeah, it just would have been really cool to see, like, more of this sort of stuff come out of it. But it is what it is. At least we got this. And like Brody said, we can compare it to High Plains Drifter, but this is, like, a, you know, this is its own little thing. It's definitely, we grounded. I mean, Kinski's the only real character that kind of feels like supernatural you know
0: mm-hmm. Every, like everyone else is ju- it's just people yeah. um, it does follow you know Akambar and his family a decent amount which I think is um, a good thing because it does kind of establish their family dynamic and how much he is just Dude. kind of a common or commandeering dickhead <laughs> to anyone else but his son who's like the only person he really has much of a good connection with but it does kind of just establish the hold that he has over the town and Gary just rampaging straight through all of it and I really really like that Aspect of it as well
1: did you guys watch it in Italian with English subtitles or did you watch the English dub because that is yep. definitely not Kinski's voice no
2: see yeah I um, I could only gain access to a HD version on YouTube which was only in English mm um so yeah that kind of threw me off a little bit but i could still put that shit aside and enjoy it for what it is um,
1: so, so for our listeners out there as i step back in the studio and then walk forward <laughs> and god said to Cain is actually part of just a little physical media section here before we transition to our next film uh it's part of the vengeance trails arrow box set that uh includes in god said to Cain, banditos my name is pecos and massacre time these films are excellent and i would Totally recommend this box set. I believe you can get this on Amazon or from the Arrow website currently. It is awesome. It has films from Lucio Fulci. Uh, just, I just saw this. Oh, Lucio Fulci and Massimo uh, Delamano and Antonio Margheriti, like we're talking about here. It, it's a good box set. I didn't pay too much for it. I think maybe 50 bucks at, at the most. It was super good. But Yeah. Anything else you guys want to say about in God Said to Cain before we move on to our next film?
2: I just want to say how much I love that scene where, and I said to you in the chat as well, how the bell just keeps ringing and ringing and spoiler alert, they run into the bell tower and there's just a yes. the fucking dead body hanging off the fucking mm-hmm. rope of the bell. Although that was a pretty cool scene, actually. It really caught me off guard. Um, cause so I honestly thought it was just Kinski like, well, it was his way of letting him know that he was, well, a presence was there, mm-hmm. but it was, bit more of a shock factor than just him popping up there it was yeah i thought it was done actually really well and the beat of that scene yeah it it definitely delivered
0: absolutely um i would also say i i I think one of my favorite parts for it as well the ultimate revenge uh also spoiler alert um in that he didn't actually have to kill Akambar's son. he got Akambar to do it himself to just like ultimately fuck him up at the end before they died in the fire. That would mwah, the piece of the resistance <laughs> seriously like it just that was one of the better westerns I've seen and I don't think I had really heard of it um, until the end
1: this film might feature the most Italian of Italian scenes ever where Kinski stares at the, quote, I'm just a whore girl, and stares at her for a long time and you think that he's gonna about to fuck her, and instead, in true Italian fashion, just slaps the shit out of her and then walks away.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was as well. And I was like, dude, she sent you to prison for like
2: how long? <laughs> yeah.
1: But hey man, that that's the uh that's the town of Kinski. He didn't know if he was going to hit you or fuck. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Moving Ooh. on, transitioning into our next film. Another quote from Mr. Klaus Kinski: "Sometimes my heart hurts so much, I beat it with my fists. I try to run, but you cannot run from this. It waits for you, even when you think you have escaped it. It is there." So our next film is Nosferatu, the Vampire, from 1979, directed by Werner Herzog. Nick,
0: read that plot. Sure thing. <clears throat> Jonathan Harker, an estate agent, is sent to Transylvania to meet a client, Count Dracula. On his journey, Harker stops at an inn situated in the hilly and desolated area. When the locals come to know about Harker's plan to visit Count Dracula's castle, they warn Harker to stay away. They tell tales of Dracula's evil and werewolves to prevent Harker from visiting the castle, but to no avail. Harker continues his journey after laughing at the villagers' superstitious beliefs, and eventually reaches Dracula's mysterious castle, where he meets the vile Count Dracula. (laughs)
1: Brody put matchsticks in his mouth Made him look like the fangs of uh, Little Kinski there, but yeah guys Fucking Herzog's Nosferatu I rant and rave about this film All the time being one of the best Fucking vampire films out there And nobody talks about it, everybody's just fucking Lost Boys this, Lost Boys that Uh, What's that that film that you like so much Brody, the Near Dark dark. And those are great, Mm. but you want Something truly haunting, you want something Fucking just pure gothic horror, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire is all that and a thick bag of chips. You want it? Gotta have it. It's fucking awesome, boys. Have you seen this before?
0: No, I have not seen. Not. Huh? I have not seen uh, this one, but I did see the original Nosferatu, of which I believe this is a direct remake. Yes, mm. Brody.
2: Yeah, no, I I had not seen this before, um, and it was good to actually see it because you know it definitely had what you just said—that gothic horror element—that I just fucking beat my dick over pretty much. Um, <laughs> but it. Really showcase great acting. Yes. Um, between the actors themselves. And I'd never heard of any of these other actors other than the, uh, the Sheila that I sent to you that was in, uh, possession from 1981. Yes. Yes. They're the only two films oh, yeah. that I've ever seen her in. So it was great to see her play this role and fucking kill it like always. Um, the locations on this film are fucking beautiful. Yeah. Um, that whole lead up <laughs> to his, that whole lead up to his, uh, to, to the castle scene, uh, his first introduction was absolutely uh, filmed, fucking just, it was framed so beautifully. Um, it's just atmospheric, and I, that's, that's probably what I like about it the most, just the atmosphere. It's just full of rich darkness, and it's, it's just a fucking fantastic remake, and it's, it, that's, that's hard to do with the fucking iconic, um, film like Nosferatu, but they definitely deliver, and K- uh, Kinski's performance in this is just fucking, yeah, it's, it's next level, which I will also discuss later when we talk about it. What about you, Slick Nick?
0: Well, uh, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, it was nice to have a Nosferatu that wasn't a silent film. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do love Herzog. Uh, I love his documentaries especially, um, but pretty much any of his films I really enjoy. So, just having Klaus Kinski do a really good Max Shrek impression, essentially, um, of the Nosferatu of of Count Dracula uh, was great. I think it worked very, very well. Um, he has that sort of commanding tone, uh, that really makes the character scary. Um, which I think was harder to do in the original with, you know, it just being a silent film. Um, but I did like all of the actors really. Uh, Bruno Gans as Jonathan Harker was great as well. I think you probably have, seen, you saw the house that Jack built, right? Brody, the Von Trier oh, movie. He,
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I liked that. He's film, Virgil. Yeah. He's Virgil. Bullshit. I didn't fucking realize yeah, that. He's,
0: he's Virgil that sends Jack to hell at the end of the movie. But, Oh, <laughs>
2: fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Virgil's like fucking 80 in that film. Like, it was hard to sort of picture yeah. that, sorry. Yeah.
1: Uh, this movie's not yeah, as big as you think. <laughs> you know, 79. So, uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, but yeah, he was also uh, like in Manchurian Candidate and the Faust. Mm films as well. Bruno Gaines is also an extremely accomplished actor. Um, which I think really did help this film is just all the acting was great. Um, especially Renfield, or Renfield. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. I especially loved the uh, the overall atmosphere, everything that had to do with the castle. Um, it definitely captured the style of the original and I think just greatly improved upon it. Um, and Kinski as the the man himself, Count Dracula was just cherry on top.
1: Yeah, it's fucking A, man. This film... <laughs> Compared to the last movie... It is a different Kinski, and that is, and I'll get into that later, but fuck, he his presence on screen is intense. And I think when I watched this, the way that, uh, the words that I used to describe him was, uh, pestilential and fervid. The guy looks, looks and acts like the, liv- like the living embodiment of disease. It is, he is sickly as fuck looking, and he is just <laughs> nasty, and he moves and acts with such intensity, it is just great. You just can't take your eyes off him when he's on screen. And that just carries throughout the entire film, and I I mean like when you first see him and shit whenever he, i mean whenever the uh the guy cuts his finger with the bread knife and he fuck charges mm-hmm. him like that is terrifying shit even now like you feel the intensity like he just seems unpredictable in a thing that you know is scripted it's just nuts i love Kinski in this. I love the way that Herzog captures the locations, and I love how gothic and dark everything is. And of that fucking every he rocks up to the village with all the fucking rats and shit, and then the plague comes with him. It is just memorable. The fucking courtyard scene where all the caskets are being brought through because the plagues destroyed mm-hmm. the town. What the fuck? It is just nuts. <laughs> the whole movie's nuts and it is so scary. It's it's great. And it's definitely one that you have to watch. If you haven't seen it, go fucking watch it. Kinski is is incredible in this. I don't did this win
0: him awards or anything? It would appear. It was very, very, very well received. Uh that is it's holding a ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes as well right now. Jeez. Oh uh, yeah. Uh let's see here. Roger Ebert even added it to his great movies collection back in twenty eleven. But I am not seeing that it won any documentary or documentary. Ah. <laughs> on the brain. Uh I'm not seeing that it won any awards really. Um As far as I can see here, probably wasn't likely to win very many in the U.S. I don't think they were super into German films in 1979.
1: Fair (laughs) enough. Shoulda, coulda, woulda is what it is. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Nosferatu, the Vampire Boys?
2: I just want to say about um, I probably should have said before about his acting. There, just to vaguely mention it. There's only two people that can actually fucking pull off the Nosferatu the best, and that is Kinski and Willem Dafoe. Other than the OG oh. himself, was que- it Max Schreck Max- or whatever? Max, Max Shrek, yeah.
1: Question for you: Shrek. Do you think Willem Dafoe's only so good because of Kinski as a reference point?
2: Well, I was about to. Say, yeah. Well, I was about to say that out of the two, I would have to say Kinski is more. Because he just throws himself at the fucking role more so. But it all comes down to uh, the direction of the movie and how it's implied, I guess. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I honestly can't praise his fucking role enough in it, in this film. And like, you, you hit the nail on the head when you described his performance. Um, it's just fucking fantastic to watch. You can't take your eyes off the screen every time he's fucking on there, pretty much. It's good shit.
0: Uh, I think he and Willem are kind of on a couple different wavelengths, I think. Yeah, uh, um, cause Kinski in this, it's a very intimidating, um, presence to him. We do know that Willem Dafoe can, can go all out, can be like that. If you've Green ever Goblin. seen like Green Goblin or even the more like darker serious stuff, he's done like, uh, Antichrist, um, like things like that. But I think this role with Kinski, this might even be one of his more reserved ones, especially compared to the next two films we're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he means he maintains an intense presence without being too over the top. Um, which I think is good. It's kind of like he is almost channeling Max Shrek a little bit in that and that he's not going too all out. But um definitely making specifically, it a yes. Yes. Um, especially compared to that the scene that you mentioned earlier where Harker cuts his uh finger or his yes. thumb at dinner and he sucks the blood out. Because uh Max Mac Shreks Nosferatu does as well, but it he does it in a much more like, oh let me see your hand, I'll take a look at the cut, and then he just kind of can't help himself and yeah. like takes a lick at it where he pulls his hand away. Whereas Kinski, it's <laughs> he genuinely can't help it from the very moment that he cuts it, he sees the blood and goes right for it. Let's throw and this it's chair. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> much more intense. But what like overall, um, it's one of his more reserved roles, I definitely think. Um, whereas I think Willem kind of went a little bit crazier for it. I don't think Willem's is probably as good as Kinski's. Um, I but I love both of them, regardless.
1: I think this is prime Kinski. I think this is peak. I think it's... You, wanna, you can call it downhill from here, but... <laughs> <laughs> I just think that, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's a more of a reserved role than the other two, but I think he just had it really dialed in. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he just knew exactly what he wanted. Herzog knew what he wanted. And they, those two, as much as they fucking fought, they knew what they, the art that they were creating and what they, what they wanted to accomplish at the end. And I just think that it, it shows on screen that he knew what the fuck he was doing.
0: I can definitely see why Werner dealt with him as much as he did to keep getting him back You're for an movies. asshole, But you're a talented actor. Yes. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Okay, transitioning to our next film with another quote. One should judge a man mainly from his depravity. Virtues can be fake. Depravities are real. Our next film is 1986's Crawl Space, directed by David Schmuller one of Brody's favorite directors. I'll read the plot for this one. The sordid tale of a deranged Nazi doctor named Gunther who rents rooms to a beautiful young woman. Gunther spies on the women from peepholes in an elaborate network of crawl spaces above their room and devises sinister schemes and deadly booby traps to kill them. And that is probably the most summarized way I can describe it without ruining all the craziness that happens in this film. Boys, so we go from... Leading man, spaghetti western, phantom killer, to
0: vampire, blood sucking, atmospheric, gothic, creepy man. To full-on Nazi (laughs) madman. This
1: movie is insane. It is absolutely (laughs) bonkers. Now- Just a little (laughs) backstory. Schmoller loves making movies in this era. He made another one of uh, Brody's favorite films, Puppet Master 3, and he visits the same uh, Nazi type stuff in that film. I think, is that the movie with Lynch in it? Richard Lynch, where he's just nuts?
2: Yes, or Richard Franklin. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, you're right, you're right, Mr. Beza
1: Yes, that—yeah, Schmuller does a lot of those full moon pictures, and this is actually an Empire picture, so it's uh, full moon before it was full moon. Uh, <laughs> and all the usual suspects are here, but the fact that it's Kinski—and, Nick, you actually watched a mini-doc about the creation of this film— <laughs> So you can probably give some more details behind it. And I did just to get this off the top and see if you guys agree with me. This had to have influenced saw. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Brody I thinks seven,
1: but like the traps are pretty elaborate here, especially that, uh, that weird slingshot thing with the knife in the attic. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say it probably more influenced saw than, uh, anything else I could think of the, I mean, the chair with the asshole spike. Um, <laughs>
1: the, the staging of the girl at the piano. Super jigsaw. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the girl attached to the wall, bolted to the wall whenever that she opens the door. And then the the second door swings and she's bolted oh, yeah. to the wall. And you can see the, the nuts holding her hands on. Insane. Yeah, it's it,
0: this movie gets a bit rough with its it <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm, the only the only one, I'm just kind of like bummed we didn't get to see, uh, what's his name? The rich guy get his, yes! he just kind of walks up the stairs, opens the door, goes, hello? And then he's out of the movie. <laughs> he's just gone. He's been removed from the script. <laughs> Kinski's. <laughs> yeah, he gets kinski Uh, But yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely think with the the traps and the booby trap and the fact that he doesn't really directly kill... I don't think he directly kills anybody other than, like, triggering the trap near the beginning when uh, the one woman walks in and finds... Uh, what's her name? The girl that he has in the cage.
1: Oh, fuck! It cuts uh,
0: her fucking tongue out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, him triggering that directly to kill her uh, just because she found his secret room and all of that i think that's the only such a strong really directly such a strong mm-hmm. but yeah I, I can definitely see how it would influence saw that he kind of just orchestrates the traps to kill people but he doesn't really do
2: it himself Kinski did another film,
1: collector Kinski did another film called slaughter hotel uh that predates this and it's kind of no, no traps
2: though. Mm. I, I would just have to agree actually more so with nick there with the the collector and the collection yeah that feels to me more along the lines of this film. You got a house, you got the trap set but up. But
1: that goes into other people's houses, not his. Like, he kind of made this and then invited people in.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I just
0: meant, like, the traps themselves, honestly. It kind of, it just, it, that just came to me. I was like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> it might- yeah, I guess there's no way of these girls getting out of them.
0: <laughs> no. No. Nah. No, 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 no. Whereas The Collector's just like, I- I'll put like a giant swinging bladed thing to destroy everybody at a rave. What on? <laughs> this predates
1: the subgenre.
0: Yeah. She was going to say, 86. When did The Collector come out? It, oh, like yeah, it, yeah. this this
1: is definitely one of the first trap films. I mean,
0: 2009, uh,
1: other than Nightmare on Elm Street, because if you think about the ending, uh, Nancy puts up a bunch of traps for Freddy. But I think that's just a Wes Craven thing. He loves his fucking traps, because think of uh, People Under the Stairs. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> (laughs) I
2: was thinking that literally just before with the girl locked up in the cage and the tongue cut out. Don't they do that in people? Uh,
1: Doesn't that one kid have his tongue cut out? Yeah.
2: Yeah. He channels through the walls as well. Like, yeah, sort of like a ventilation. But I'd never seen this film before, so I really wanted to throw it on there as an excuse to suss it. Um, I'd seen the poster work of Kinski with Blood around his mouth, and I just, I was like, fuck, we have to do this. So, yeah. And, and not only the fact of the director itself, um, but what they were able to achieve with this premise, I actually really enjoyed. I kind of felt that it should have went a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> just because I oh, wanted wow. to see more Kinski. I <laughs> kind of felt yeah, like some scenes were a little bit. Yeah, oh yeah, especially <laughs> when Nick will elaborate on that in a minute. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's only uh, about an hour and twenty minutes, Nick. Yeah, yeah,
2: and I'm even surprised they got that much worth with the man himself. But anywho, um, I think for um all that bullshit aside, and for what the film is and the budget and all that, I think it's still a great fucking film. It just goes to show that you don't have to have a big budget to create such a great film with a basic premise. Um, it's very creative. It's it's constructed in constructor. Uh, it's Constructed in these layers of fun and horrific events that um, that I love in any horror film, so. It definitely fulfilled my needs and Kinski, as much as he was a cunt behind the scenes, I, th- it still looks like he had fun with it. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird. What about you, Nick? What do you think of this film?
0: Well, uh, it was definitely one batshit roller coaster, um, of a movie for sure. Uh, watching the character of Carl Gunther. Um, just go from already insane to completely descending into absolute madness, uh, the further that the film goes, uh, and just watching, uh, our final girl, Lori, uh, just try to navigate this, um, insane situation she has gotten herself in by just jumping too hard onto a, uh, an apartment that was too good to be true. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's definitely a ride. Um, I, I did very much enjoy it. Um, I think it maybe could have been a little better, but I do like Schmoller's like what he was able to do with it. It, it is far different looking at some of the production and like what the original drafts were meant to be. Um, it's interesting to see what it became because I believe the 1st draft was uh it was meant to be an anti-vietnam war movie oh. and schmoller wanted it to be about gunther making a pow camp in his attic Fine. and it just kind of became more about the traps uh and i'm like i wonder what it would have been like if they had they gone with his original uh script and everything for it but i believe a lot of it and i will get into this here in a minute when i kind of discuss um the film that he made about making this um, because he was determined to make this movie no matter what Um, there was a lot of pushback from the studios and everything on stuff that Schmoller wanted to do and basically there was a lot of things that they told him he had to do no matter what and he was and he just kind of went oh, fuck you this is my movie damn it <laughs> uh, so it was a lot of Schmoller really trying to push through to get the movie that he wanted to make made uh, but he did have to make certain concessions and changes and everything and it's just really interesting to see the final product for sure. Um, but it's not bad. It is a good movie. I did like it. Um, it probably just I don't know. Uh, out of the four I don't think it was my favorite. I think that was probably in God Said the King.
1: Fair enough. Uh, yeah, this movie's crazy and I absolutely fucking love it. The Nazi element to it is interesting. I think it adds to the Gunther character like this another layer of insanity and the fact that like he's not a direct Nazi, but he's a child of that era. And he's kind of just like living on past it. And and like he even acknowledges the fact that like when he was young and like when they lost the war, he was sent to Argentina and he just kept growing up as a Nazi and doing all that.
0: (laughs) It's definitely weird about the ideology for it, because I thought at first he was kind of going to go against it, because at one of the bits where he is writing in his journal and he's kind of uh, voiceovering it, he talks about. Um, he didn't grow up knowing his dad was like killing Jewish people it already because he was talking about, um, euthanasia and using it in his practice as a doctor. Uh-huh. And then at one point he says, and then I found out that my father was using it as an excuse to kill Jewish people. And I thought he was going to be like, he was going to kind of go against it or anything until he just goes full tilt in the other direction yeah. by the end of he, the movie. He
1: almost sees... Killing as a way to transcend his own Mortality it's it's interesting yeah
0: He waxes poetic a lot in his Like journal entry sections Where it gets a little interesting And the movie kind of slows down a bit they aren't my Favorite but they are interesting and I do think that the movie needed those Moments
1: why the makeup Before the Hitler speech
0: part Of me thinks it might just be an 80s movie version of well we got to make him look Insane make him smear lipstick all over himself Fair enough
2: and the whole uh, Russian Roulette with the gun no that's interesting like he's he he's is self-loathing he hates yeah, himself
1: it was kind of yeah, like validation that what he was doing was just so like hey if this doesn't kill me then i then what i'm doing is okay mm-hmm. so by the end where he gets killed but is it the same gun that kills yeah him? Yes. yeah so yeah. whenever he gets killed by the same gun that's pretty much the whole story coming to an end because that's the gun that was going to kill him eventually anyway so
0: mm. it just wouldn't fire when he was the one pulling the trigger
1: yeah. or whenever schmoller told him to put real gun bullets in it <laughs>
0: Which Schmuller claims he did not do
1: (laughs) Nick, a little backstory before we transition
0: Yes, of course So, I watched uh, the mini-documentary that came out in 1999 uh, That David Schmuller did called Please Kill Mr. Kinski uh, which was about the making of Crawl Space and basically everything that he had to go through just to get his damn movie <laughs> made. Um, So initially, whenever they first started filming, uh, he was not particularly keen on all of the controversy around uh, Mr. Kinski before going into shooting the movie with him. He basically, uh I think it was said he read or he looked at just the impressive amount of films that he had done and. he picked Klaus, said, yeah, I want him to be the villain in my movie. And he said that after he did that, one of his colleagues uh, saw an interview that Kinski had done in Playboy magazine and he said, have you read that article yet? He said, no. So he went and he read the interview with him in Playboy magazine and said that immediately from that very moment he went, oh, I fucked up. (laughs) I should not have picked this guy. He is a deranged madman. But we'll stick it out. We'll see what we can do. Comes on and he says that the very first day that they basically started shooting from the moment he said lights, sound, action, Kinski immediately started screaming. And so he stopped, he halted, he went, whoa, okay, whoa, 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 what's, what's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong? To which Kinski went, action, action, action. I do over 200 movies The directors are always saying action. He's like, oh, okay, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll entertain this. What should I say then? And he said, I don't care what you say, just don't say action. Went, okay, what about Klaus? I'll just say your name. He went, fine. Okay, we could do that. So he, for the next day and a half or so, he lights, sound, Klaus, and he said, and he would start acting, and it worked for a day and a half until he did the standard thing, said Klaus. Kinski started screaming again, and he's like, "All right, what is it this time?" And he went, "Klaus, Klaus, I do 200 movies, and everyone's always saying Klaus. Just don't say Klaus to it. So what should I say? Nothing. I'll start when I'm ready." Went, I hate this man already. <laughs> so does this for about two days, where he essentially just lets him direct himself until eventually he goes, "I can't take." This and calls the uh, calls the producers and he goes. I'm firing him. I'm not working with him. I'm done. He's an asshole. I'm firing him. Production uh, goes. Talks to the American distributor who say that they will immediately pull if they take him out because of his the power of his name. So he is forced to work with him for the rest of the film and it eventually developed to where he was not allowed to say cut. Uh, Klaus was going to stop when he considered the scene to be done. Um, he basically wasn't allowed to direct him at all because Kinski hated directors. Um, there were a few clips of interviews of him basically just saying he could not stand directors. He couldn't stand anybody telling him what to do at all. He would fly off the handle the very moment. Um, and so Schmoller just suffered through the entire thing just to get his movie made and at one point says that one of the producers came to him and was one 100% completely serious, not joking, came to him and said, we're going to kill him for the insurance money. We are going to kill him so that no one ever has to deal with this man ever again. We will get the payout. We will hire somebody else and we will finish the movie. To which Schmoller was like, I'm not murdering anybody. (laughs) That's not happening. Deal with it. We're just going to finish the movie and then we'll just never work with him again. And so for the rest of the production, every once in a while, different cast and crew members would come up to him and say, Mr. Schmoller, please, 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 please kill Mr. Kitsky (laughs) by the end of the film. Uh, that was pretty much the gist of it. It was about uh, like 12, 15 minute mini doc that just kind of went over the whole thing. But Schmoller was kind of laughing about it by this point. it came out in 99. So Kinski was dead for about nine years by this point. But he did say, um, that he did feel bad when Kinski did actually die that he read in the obituary, uh, was a quote from Schmoller himself about how hard it was to work with them. And he said that he felt bad because someone's obituary should be about their accomplishments, not about their shortcomings, but that he went, you know, I'm not the one who said to put that in there. So I. I guess that was just karma coming back to bite him.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank
1: you for that behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. insight on 1986's Crawl Space. So transitioning to our final film of the evening. Here's Another quote. I don't need anybody to tell me how to be alive. Okay, last film. Vampire in Venice from 1988. Directed by a plethora of people, including Augusto... Kaminito? Kamenito, Klaus Kinski, Maurizio Uchidi, and Luigi Cozzi. We've heard his name before. On... Phenomenal. Plot. Brody.
2: As a Paris Catalano travels to Venice following the trail of the last known appearance of Nosferatu, who was seen at a carnival, he learns through a seance that the vampire is seeking eternal death, and tries to put an end to its existence once and for all.
1: So this film, of all the films, had one of the most troubled productions which is why there was four directors. Kinski, this was the second to last film that Mr. Kinski made before his death. The last film being the one he actually directed uh, called Paganini. But yeah, he went off the rails here, demanded a bunch of shit, made the film go over budget, demanded that a separate crew be made for him to go out and film stuff on his own. Yeah, this film is a fucking mess. It's oddly watchable though for being such a fucking mess. It's kind of a sequel to Herzog film, but not really. Kinski's wearing maybe a third of the makeup, and he is definitely a lot older at this point. His performance is eccentric. It's definitely not as dialed in as it was <laughs> in Herzog's. There's some of the nuance there, but at the same time, there's none of it. You can tell that he is just not happy with being there. I don't know why Donald Pleasant subjected himself to any of this.
0: Or Christopher Plummer.
1: Or Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is Bonkers! it is absurd i am thankful that severn films released it and i watched the doc that they've produced as well that went with it and it's it's pretty damn good too and it's definitely a good companion piece boys what did you think of vampire in venice
2: um well that's a good question mr <laughs> <laughs> You know, for me watching it, um, well, I'd already heard about your thoughts on it and that. So I went in with an open mind as well. And, um, you know, you can definitely tell that it, uh, it's, it just does not feel like a sequel for me personally to the Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really troubling. And you can see that throughout the editing and the acting in some scenes. And it feels a little bit convoluted. Um, I don't know when I was watching it. I was just sort of like, why the fuck are we jumping from A to C and not talking about point B? Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, some of the editing was just laced, uh, with like a, um, just music and shots of Venice or, yeah, it's, um, look, I I will give it, I will give it the time and day to watch it. Um, absolutely but it just the flow of the film was really off-putting for me personally oh yeah um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. It's, Brody, I'm, Brody I'm really trying to think of positive stuff to so really say y- about you know
1: this. those scenes of Kinski just riding in a gondola <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so w- why he's credited as a director that one unit filmed hours of footage of him first thing in the morning so he'd wake everybody up before the sun got up so they'd go out to Venice so he could film himself as the vampire as the sun's rising, walking through Venice, and then in yeah, the gondola. So those are just insert shots of like hours of footage they for he was forced them to shoot of him just being uh, Klaus Kinski walking around.
2: Yeah, I I, I couldn't understand it. He's what like, an asshole! <laughs> God.
1: And cozy like Luigi I- Cozy was the fucking guy who had to hold the camera while Klaus Kinski did that. Like poor fucking Cozy, like he learned under Dario Argento and then has to fucking deal with kids deal
0: with this deal. Shit. <laughs> that is interesting because I was going to say a lot of those uh, transitory scenes of just the shots of Venice and everything felt a lot like the shots of the cities in um, uh, uh, Suspiria ah. in the ori- and Suspiria I was going to say it felt kind of Argento that's interesting that he uh, trained under him
2: I will say though this film does have a bit of an atmospheric presence about it I will praise it for that gloomy though. as Ooh, um, fuck yeah it's a, a very dull and depressing type of film that's but all those interior shots. It's oh, yeah. Venice. Venice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a Mediterranean um, bright sunny city, <laughs> right on the ocean. Uh, it's, it's 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 yeah. I mean, the interior shots. I'll, I will give it that time and day yeah. for. I will say that because mm-hmm. some of the locations are actually like really beautiful. Uh-huh. But like you were saying, how the fuck did Donald Pleasance agree to this <laughs> film? Like, I just don't understand it. Uh, I was actually it, surprised. I didn't even realize he was in it, to be honest.
0: It may have still been, I mean, the whole reason that the distributor for Crawlspace threatened to pull out. They were like, he has marquee power. He has... Yeah. That he has a name, it's Klaus Freaking Ginski, dude. Like you, you have to work with him, or we will not distribute the film. So like I could very well see Donald Pleasence and Christopher Plummer just being like, I'll work with I mean, he's an industry legend, I'll work with him, and then by the end of it, they're like, God, I will never work with him again.
1: <laughs> it's so fucking different than any of the films we talked about because he's just so fucking weird. It, it's he's not there. Mm. It's like he's there, but he's not. It's it's fuck. And just like in the documentary they talk talk about him just by near the end of his career, it was his way or no way at all. And he just wasn't there to perform unless it was that way. It's, yeah, oh.
0: it is something. I mean, can I also say one thing for the premise? Um, it was funny that Brody said, Why are we jumping from point A to C? The premise of the film itself almost feels like that. The opening, like, explanation, the exposition of where we are now, um, compared to the last movie, it feels like this is the third movie in a trilogy that How did never he got get a second. Here? movie
1: how did he get to venice in the basement
0: he never explained how he got to venice not only that but the very establishing like coming in and donald pleasant's supposed to be this like i am an expert on nosferatu i have been chasing him my entire life he, he disappeared at this point during a plague in 1786. It's like, why did, why wasn't the movie during that? Yeah. <laughs> why, why wasn't that the sequel? Why did you put the story of a sequel into the exposition introduction to this film and then make this one after that when that ju- when we got nothing in between this <laughs> and the original Nosferatu? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, uh, it,
1: it's fucked, but it's watchable because Kinski's just so weird in it. And like Brody said, it has an atmosphere yeah. that shouldn't be there, like Nick and I said, because it's fucking Venice. Mm-hmm. But somehow they make it dark. They drain all the color out of the fucking scene, and they just uh yeah. It's it's an oddball film, and it's 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 interesting part of Kinski's career. The the latter I chapter is just so so interesting.
0: I wonder what Herzog thought of it. Probably vomited. you know he had to watch it. Yeah, he probably, probably didn't like it.
1: <laughs> so do you guys know uh, what was your first introduction to Kinski? Yes,
0: yes,
2: so I know. <laughs> Well, I will start off by saying my first introduction to Kinski, uh, was from you, Mr. Bowser. Really? (laughs) Oh. I remember you sending me this fucking, uh, video from YouTube and it just, and you pretty much said to me, uh, from what I recall, like, you have to watch this guy. It's hilarious. So I did, obviously. And I was fucking in hysterics watching it because I remember being like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? (laughs) Um, you know, the more that we talked about him and sussed him out, you know, we were, we were like, just what a legend, you know. Watching this guy back chat a fucking producer and director on set and carry on like an absolute fucking pork chop over nothing. It's like just <laughs> film your scene and shut the fuck up, honestly. Uh-uh. And I've never seen, yeah, I've never seen anyone do that on set before, uh, especially in a professional matter. I mean, it's unheard of. Who the fuck does that? And it it it, it was so entertaining to hear and see, and I just love. it the controversy that he holds so it was unusual and yeah like i said intriguing and i was sold instantly on him so to suss him out um yeah it was fucking, it was a doozy he's a yeah I, I, well, that was my first introduction to him. What about you, Slick Nick? Uh,
0: so mine was definitely a few dollars more, even if I didn't know who he was at the time. Yes. Um, because I have seen all of the dollars movies, I think, except Barrel Full, um, like Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More. It, uh, was a Barrel Full the third movie? Was it A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and A Barrel Full of do- Dollars? A Few Dollars More is where Kinski's at, yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, I couldn't remember if uh, Barrel Full was the end of the original trilogy or if they just kept making them after that. I believe so. Um, um, okay, so I've I've seen the first two dollars movies then because I have not seen Barrel. Um, so a few dollars more definitely would have been it. I just would not have known who he was at the time because um, I didn't really get much of an idea of who he was until we started doing the research for this. And I also saw some of the uh, clips that Brody no doubt saw as well. Uh, my favorite of which being him on like a panel at like a film convention or something, getting mad, getting up, s- like slapping his mic away and then walking yeah. off the panel because someone asked him a question and he didn't like.
2: <laughs> is that the one that goes for 30 seconds long and then he grabs the actress with him? or is He grabs the, the actress wife?
0: and walks off with her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is wrong
2: with this man? <laughs> like kicks the Chair.
0: uh-huh he, he goes full tilt on that one um and then yeah i also saw the clip of him screaming at the director and everything like that which is probably the biggest blow-up i've seen since the christian bale one yeah
2: did you actually see the footage to that the christian bale one
0: no there's only audio of it i think yeah what about you mr bowser
2: yeah mm.
1: probably the same place as mr nick there uh i like i didn't realize who he was until later in life but i would have to say a few dollars more if that is the right film i think what year is that
0: yeah uh for a few dollars more should be late 60s i think 66 or 7 yep
1: for a few dollars more juan wild the hunchback Yep. okay yeah so it would definitely be that film for me and then i just came more aware of him as my love for cinema grew kinski's fucking awesome man <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys have a favorite role that's been discussed or or not
0: yeah i would say gary hamilton for uh and God said to Cain is probably my favorite of all of these, just because of the presence that he commands. Okay. Um, I, don't, I just it, it's probably a bit of a bias in that I like westerns a lot more than I like vampire movies. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I would say Gary Hamilton, Brody.
2: Um, yeah, I would agree with you there, Nick. I originally had Nosferatu because I watched that uh, as the second film after Cruel Space. Then I watched God Said to Cain last, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, I mean, yeah, this is probably his. For me, his strongest performance out of the four. Nosferatu coming in at second. I feel like um he I feel like the camera is really attached to Kinski and it captures this. F- captures the physical emotions of the character itself because we get these really nice zoom ins and close ups. And when he stares at another character, you could just see the, I don't know, the, the, the persona that he draws in with the emotions on his face. It's actually got this cunning and mysterious look and way about him, you know, and it gives his character a bit more of a punch, if you know what I mean. It's just. <laughs> I, I will admit, though, I was a little bit skeptical of him being in a spaghetti western, but, um you know, it feels like that this part was particularly written for him, and he, yeah, he owns it. I, I, I found him to be great. I only wish he was in more of these spaghetti westerns.
1: So he actually is Brody, and I will mention a couple of the ones of note that I've seen and would recommend. Uh, I'd always have to go for Nosferatu, uh, Herzog's version, of course, for when it comes to Kinski and his performance, because, like I said, I believe he is like the most dominant. Dialed in there, uh, despite problems. Uh, some films of note: uh, The Great Silence from nineteen sixty eight. That is a western that takes place during the winter time, and Kinski's in it. And that film's pretty awesome. Ooh. Double Face from nineteen sixty nine. Uh, Count Dracula in nineteen seventy. He actually plays Renfield in that. Oh. Oh,
0: (laughs) I'd like to see that.
1: Adios Copaneros, another Spaghetti Western in 1971. He played Reverend Cotton in that. Shanghai Joe in 1973, played Scalper Jack. Uh, What else here? He also was on Footprints on the Moon 1975, played Professor Blackman. That is a Jalo film. That film kicks ass. He played Jack the Ripper in 1976, well, in the film Jack the Ripper in 1976 as Dr. Dennis Orloff, another great film, and of course, Schizoid in 1980, which recently just got a oh. 4K release, and that is also another Ooh. great film. So just a couple roles of note there for anyone looking to expand beyond the films we mentioned here. So, boys, I have to ask, a monster or misunderstood? So when we look back at his life, and we'll keep this kind of brief because we're trying to focus on on the art here where he grew up the time period he grew up all the things he went through and on top of that mixed mental illness which was probably a side effect of all those things was his erratic behavior and his intensity to be expected almost to, to a certain level because of the way things were and would it be better to look at kinsky from an art perspective Rather than what type of person was he because there's no really reference point of the stuff that he went through other than the people that were there at the Nick Brody.
0: So I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, I don't think the mental illness really helped um, in curbing his aggression, um, things like that. Um, I, I do think it was definitely harder to get help for yes. mental illnesses throughout that period of time, especially when he would have been younger, um, to spe- you know, during World War II and things like that, because um, there was a lot of things that di- they pretty much did confirm did happen to him. There's a lot of stuff that he claims happened to him that uh, at least Herzog as well says that he probably did not actually have happened. Um, Herzog believes he did make up a lot of, like, things in his autobiography, but there are records of things of, like, when he was conscripted. He spent time as a POW in Britain for a long time, um, but he was also a con- from Poland it wasn't exactly his choice, so he had a lot of trauma um, he did have a lot of you know mental illness that probably was just hereditary as well I think if I remember correctly, his parents were also kind of crazy um so I don't think that really Helped, But by the point where he's, you know, he's been in over a hundred movies and people are still choosing to work with him. You know who he is when you're still choosing to work with him. Yes. Even except, you know, in the case of like Schmoller, who just knew his name, Um, went, you know, he, I guess he should be great for this part only to start to discover who he is. And then just kind of by the end of it, be like, I'm never working with this guy ever again. Um, Whereas Herzog worked with him a ton on a bunch of movies to the point where he himself made his own documentary about all the movies they made together about you know their sort of interpersonal relationship and everything and even though it was called my best friend it was literally just i didn't like him as a person he wasn't a good he was not a good guy you know his family doesn't really like him things like that all that stuff that they can infer as for the art as for his acting i think he's one of the greats in that regard especially um there is a reason he's been in that many movies The guy goes full method and full tilt for every one of them as much as he possibly needs to. And there's been plenty of people even now who go full method and are seen as kind of insufferable until the movie's over. I can think of like people talking about Daniel Day-Lewis and stuff like that, Um, which it just you leave controversy and you leave a legacy and he definitely left a legacy and it is what it is. Um, So I think both. I think it's a combination. He could be a monster. Could be misunderstood. There's definitely a lot to unpack there, Brody. What do you think?
2: Yeah, a lot to unpack. And this was a hard question for me because I'm looking. I'm trying to look at it from a positive point of view, from what he is portraying as this person. Like he could be. He, he could be carrying on like this person to channel these emotions, maybe to portray the characters he plays. And I, you could say it's definitely he has had demons or it could be the fact we just don't understand him and his world, you know? So then that potentially makes him frustrated and arrogant. You know, we're trying to look at it from us and then his perspective. Yet, Like he has to fight back to explain things. Maybe it's because, you know, he's just very proud of his work and takes it very serious, but I just keep thinking, Oh, I keep thinking of things to really try and find a meaning behind all of his actions because you'll hear one thing from one set, and then you'll hear another from the other, or you'll say it. And just all these different stories about him, it's hard to, you know, justify what he was actually really like. I mean, we, yes, we've seen some footage of what he is capable of but you know it's, it's a bit of a hit and miss really and I can't really say either he is a monster or misunderstood but what I can say is in the end you know for whatever it was he did it worked and there's no denying that he's one of the best actors to grace the screen I mean it's It was yeah, it was a like I said, a hard question for me to try and talk about, especially from his perspective, not knowing. You know, it was a good question. I I I had Mm. fun with it. It was fucking, it was a good one. What about you, Mr. Bowser?
1: Definitely a legacy that needs to be preserved and seen from just an art perspective like like you said like over 130 films career 40 plus years the guy was active and like nick said these people chose to work with him long after knowing his reputation and that speaks volume and another thing can be said that these these directors were able to make secondary content on top of their films about working with kinski so it just shows you what type of person he was, that he could generate that amount of content on just doing one project alone creates two, you know, Uh, whether that's good or not. Uh, Now, I I see a lot of his freakouts, and I see a lot of his, what would you call it, uh, moments of weakness in the public eye and i feel like he was under a lot of pressure to be the klaus kinski and where he was in the world wasn't probably the best place economically wasn't the best place uh socially especially for him and the way he grew up i feel like he had a certain expectation for the people around him in the in the world and that wasn't ever met so he just constantly stayed miserable uh it's it's sad that a lot of uh his name is tarnished because of his actions but whenever you look back and see some of his performances it's 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 easy to look, overlook some of that because it's it's some memorable shit and i'm happy that so many years later we're still here talking about him and uh we're able to appreciate his films despite all of his shortcomings and the things that uh he may have done
0: that are certainly
1: questionable so
0: yeah i was just gonna say it's a lot of it it helps with the uncertainty for it as well because i mean like it was you know with people still choosing to work with him there are still people who give roman polanski standing ovations even knowing damn well what he did (laughs) and the fact that he can't come back to the U.S. for a good reason. So fair enough. No. Anywho,
1: personal feelings on Polanski aside,
0: <laughs> that ain't personal. <laughs> that man's a fucking monster. So
1: yeah. So to wrap things up klaus kinski's definitely a one-of-a-kind actor one-of-a-kind human being that will be remembered for years to come and i'm happy that we were able to sit back and talk about his career at just a brief glimpse we might revisit it in the future with four more mm. films and a part two who knows because i certainly enjoyed doing this and i certainly enjoyed going back and re-watching these films in giving them a, another look, Boys?
2: Uh, yeah, I just want to say it was a fucking pleasure to go and associate at some Kinski. Um, I mean, the, the guy has fucking range. The guy has absolute fucking range, and I feel like you could choose him for any fucking genre of film and he will nail it. Like, And he's worked with some high-profile actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no denying that. And, you know, uh, it's just a shame that he has a tainted legacy with his actions behind the scenes. And it's, it's actually – I just wish – the world today would see more of his work and what he was actually like in front of the camera instead of behind the camera Um, because yeah like you said he's just yeah he's one of the greats there's no denying that.
0: Yeah um, I definitely had a good time going through these as well it was uh, fun I think it was interesting for us to be able to give our two cents on someone who no doubt is going to be remembered for a very long time good and or bad Um, but yeah it, it is I think a good idea to take a look at the art of somebody like kinski to attempt to separate it from the person that he was and just kind of look at it on its own merit um a lot of other people you know worked on these uh these projects as well um a lot of them you know i, th- I think were really good really really well done um gave me another chance to uh watch a herzog film as well which i appreciate <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah no i, I would say like I'd, I'd be down to do uh Uh, part two sometime in the future as well. There is so much more to cover. I mean, like we said, he's done over 130 films. So this is just barely scraping the surface, only doing four of them. This is like 1% of the grand total of everything that he's done. Um, But it's just interesting to take a look back and just sort of a retrospective over a figure as controversial as him.
1: Absolutely. So I will finish this show off with one final quote from Mr. Kensky. I actually get venereal disease more often than most people catch colds. Good night, everybody.
3: It was, I was very poor when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have I mean, I had to eat for days, and I really know what to and and is. and so it was the time when I earned, and I started to earn a lot of money, and you know, and we had just, you see, we had just like paddy maybe the wrong word. How do you say in English if you have? Feste, that's yeah. well, that's a you know, thing. every day almost because we were working, working hard. I was working ten years without any day of holiday. Never had ever in ten years. But I, I, I earned so much money and threw it out of the window and I invited everybody. Even the, even the, the, the postman had French champagne. Actually, in the morning he came half champagne because it was just, it was my fairy tale, you know. So, but then after years, so, you know, I thought, no, no, I, I don't want to do that anymore because, you know, I'm just, what I'm doing is for, you know. But there's no, how you say, being sorry about it, you know. It's nothing, nothing being sorry Opposite, you know. It was just, just fun, you see. We, have, we loaded our table for lunch, you know, like in fairy tales, you know, was everything you wanted We were eating very little, but it was just, it took hours to load the table, you know. So, because we never had anything, you know. It's like people, you always talk about money. Fuck, I don't go about money because I don't want to talk about bullshit. And they always want to talk me into, yes, but. And I say, don't finish your line. I know it, you know? And I know it and I do it and not because you say it, okay? Now, so I made it short, you know? I always say, no, I do it just for money, just for money. Maybe it's true maybe it's not true, who knows? But it's my problem. Okay, and friends, you know, they would never accept it, you know? For years, it was, they took it like a joke. They, okay, 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 but. But this film, this we didn't do that for money. So yes, yes, this only for money, just for money, you know? Which is actually true. But but what, what came out of it only comes. If comes something out of it people are impressed by for instance, then it doesn't matter you did it for nothing or you did it for millions of dollars. Or if not, even less it's interesting for what, what you what you did it for, you know, it's all so stupid, you know, it's all for nothing. It's free, it's free, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, this question. They just want always to blame something on you, you know? Always saying, yeah, you and why and T and so, you know? I I, I did once for 20,000 people the New Testament, you know? It was one of my shows I did. It means I was standing there and I was saying it, my way I was saying it, okay? So I changed the whole Testament, I put the things in from today and so. And I got a lot of money for it, but I mean, I had a contract for all over the world to do it, but I did it only two times, and I said, "Fuck off, of you," because I don't want to finish like this, like he finished. You know, I want to be nailed on the, <laughs> the cross. So and then people ask me, "Yeah, but you ask money for it?" I say, "Yes, and a lot." And and, and, and what did what does they do in Rome, and what they do in your church? What they don't have money, has much more money than I got. Okay, this stupid question. You ask money for it. What does it change? What does what does it change that somebody says the word? words which may interest people or they pretend for two thousand years it interests them, okay. What does it change? You get money for it saying it or not. You know it's all false. It's all false. You know that's what what all those talk in movies, most of the talk about things is all false. It's all lying. You know? And the thing is not because it's so alarming that it's lying. The thing it's so boring.